Dear listener and fellow story lover, this week's story invites us into the world of empty nesters and the emotional struggles that can befall some parents when the last offspring finally leaves home. I hope you enjoy this week's Stories from Before. Promised Lands and How They Fared When They Got There Written by John Barton Oxford Read by Selina Cadell By permission of the Lutterworth Press Music by Stacey Weir The bustle and excitement were over. The chatter and laughter of many voices had given way to an almost unnatural stillness in the house, broken only by the caterer's men gathering up silver and china below stairs. The bridal couple had been whisked away in a motor car, and the trail of rice and decrepit shoes far down the street told of the traditional method of their departure. In a corner of the drawing room, the roses and carnations and the other floral decorations were beginning to fade. A clock in the mantelpiece chimed six loudly, obtrusively, with that certain cocksure inexorableness which clocks are prone to take to themselves upon such occasions. William Fenno paused at his task of winding up a length of white satin ribbon, the ribbon which had held the cake together, took a sniff of the drooping rosebud in his buttonhole, grinned as he heard the caterer's men overturn a pile of dishes, and stepped into the dining room. It was cold for October. A fire crackled briskly, and before the hearth Mrs Fenno, much bequaffed as to her grey hair, much befrilled and belaced as to her grey silk gown, sat staring almost moodily at the flames. She did not look up as her husband entered. Fenno, he could not have told why he moved on tiptoe, crossed the room, drew a chair beside hers, and took one of her wrinkled hands in his. He did it very gently, very quietly, as if he needed to give that caress quite as much as she needed to receive it. "'Well, it's all over, mother,' he said cheerily. "'The last of the three is gone. "'Even our baby is married.' Mrs Fenno turned to him. Her fingers tightened about his. She smiled bravely, although her underlip was quivering. "'Pretty affair, wasn't it?' Fenno hurried on, aware of the distress signals. "'Nice boy, Bobby's. "'They'll be happy. "'I'm glad it all went so well.' Annie is so fussy about little things. I don't think I ever saw a prettier wedding. Mrs. Fenno nodded. Then she looked into the fire. He well knew why she did not look at him just then. We're alone, Will, she said, and her voice was almost frightened. Alone for the first time in thirty-two years. Well, Bess, we started out alone, he reminded her. We came here alone, we... I didn't know I was going to feel so... so sort of lost, she interrupted. Fenno looked at her quickly and keenly. He stooped to prod back some embers which had snapped far out on the hearth. We'd better not stay here, he said slowly. Mrs Fenno turned her eyes from the fire. She looked at him with speechless surprise, not unmixed with a certain very palpable relief. I'd have suggested it before, but I didn't know how you'd feel about it, he went on. It seems you feel just as I do. I don't want to stay here. I want to shut up the house and go away somewhere. I want to live, just you and I, live 
as we have never had a chance to before. We can afford it now the last chick has left us. We haven't any more sacrifices to make, any more little denials to practice. There won't be any more weddings to think of, any more pretty clothes to buy for someone else, any more allowances to be doled out. A little more each month. Will, said Mrs. Fenno, almost chidingly, as they both arose. I'm not complaining, Bess, not a bit of it, said he stoutly. I was just as glad to do it, and do it properly, as you were, wasn't I? But I've had my eyes open. I've seen you going without things for thirty-two years. You've had your reward, no doubt, and so have I, watching the rest of the brood. But I've thought about things all the same. Why, you've never had a maid here, mother, save when you were ill. No one to help with the work but the charwoman twice a week. It's all been for them. I don't begrudge it, mind you, but the fact stands. It's all been for them. We've worked hard here. We've had to. Now there's a good little income, an amply sufficient income for just you and me. We'll have our fun now. I've had it on my mind for a long time. I've thought it out and schemed, only I wanted to be sure how you felt about it. I'm glad you feel lonely here. That will let us do as I've planned. We'll shut this place up, this place where you've worked and cooked and dusted and sewed for thirty-two years, and where I've looked after the coal scuttle and mowed the lawn and planted the flower beds and raised our vegetables for the same length of time. We'll sell it or let it, We'll go into town. We'll take a little flat. We can afford it now. One of the kind where we needn't so much as lift our fingers. We'll live. We'll go to the picture galleries and dinners together. There'll be women's clubs and the like for you, and cricket matches for me. We'll live. We've earned it. Mrs. Fenno suddenly threw both her arms about his shoulders. Oh, Will, really? she asked in excited tones. "'Surest guess you ever made,' he cried, his enthusiasm mounting. "'Why, I've even picked out the place, at the Cumberland. You know it. "'We won't have to lift our hands. Everything will be done for us. Three rooms and a bathroom, overlooking the park. Splendid cooking. "'You'll have a maid to hook you up and all that sort of thing.' "'Won't it be dreadfully extravagant, Will?' she doubted. "'He waved his hand in lordy fashion.' It's well within our means now. I tell you, we're going to live, he declared. When? she asked, her eyes shining. Now, today, said he. You'll leave this place just as it is. You won't even tidy up. Mrs Higgins can see to all that. We'll have all new things in there too. Just pack enough to keep you going, and we'll get out of here today. I've got to let them know at once at the Cumberland. I was going to see how you felt about it. Now that that's all settled, no time like the present. Your work days are done, Mrs. Fenno. The sooner we leave, the better. She kissed him resoundingly on his high bald forehead. Will, you dear good man, she cried. Go, I'll pack up this minute. I'll run down to the telephone office and tell them we're coming, said he. Mrs. Fenno got up and went into the hall. Oh, I'm going to make up for lost time. "'said she with ill-suppressed excitement. "'You watch me.' "'I know you are,' said Fenno, "'taking up his hat and overcoat from the hall rack "'and moving to the front door. "'He blew her a gallant kiss and went out. 
The caterer's two assistants, loading the van at the front gate, watched him swing jauntily down the street. "'Wouldn't think that he's nearing sixty, would you?' said one of them. "'Well, if he's as young as he feels, he's somewhere around sixteen, said the other. At eight o'clock that night, at one of the little tables with its softly shaded lights in the dining room of the Cumberland, William Fenno and his wife ate a leisurely dinner and surreptitiously held hands beneath the corner of the tablecloth between courses. "'Where shall we go tonight?' Fenno asked, pushing across to her an evening paper opened to the amusement column. "'Aren't we too tired?' said she. "'We haven't anything to do tomorrow but rest,' he reminded her. Mrs Fenno wrinkled her brow as she adjusted her glasses and ran her eye down the column. "'That's so,' she chuckled. You'll have to remind me of that often, Will. I somehow like to be reminded of it too. How does this place strike you? said he. She said nothing, but the way she looked at him was quite enough. I keep thinking I've got to go down and get up some coals, he confessed. And I'm wondering what on earth there is in the house for breakfast, she laughed. She looked contentedly about her at the other tables with their shaded lights through the filmy window draperies at the glowing spots illumining the stretches of the park. And it isn't just today, nor tomorrow, Will. That's the glory of it, she breathed. Hereafter, this is us, he laughed, sweeping his own eyes about. Pretty good idea of mine, wasn't it, Bess? The April days began to grow warmer. The trees in the park were putting forth the first soft green of embryo leaves. Now and again, through the open windows of that suite at the Cumberland came haunting distant bird voices. William Fenno, smoking his after-lunch cigar, looked out with suddenly troubled eyes. Then he was aware that his wife was watching him from the dressing table in the room beyond, where she was overhauling a drawerful of gloves. He smiled and blew ceilingwood, a great cloud of smoke, also, he stretched himself comfortably in the chair. This is great, he observed. He had been saying it often of late. Far too often. Every time, in fact, he thought Mrs. Fenno was looking at him as she was looking at him now. She sighed as she picked at a tiny hole in the finger of a glove. We've been so happy here, Will, said she. I never realised people could be so happy. It's great, he said again but noticing her eyes were on the glove, his own sought the trees in the park. They were filled with that same vaguely troubled light again. "'You're going out to the match this afternoon, aren't you?' she inquired. Fenno started slightly. "'Oh, yes,' said he. Uh, "'Let's see, um, yes. Cup tie, of course. Wouldn't care to go, I suppose?' "'Mercy, no! I don't know a thing about it!' she laughed. I'm going down to that lecture at Frost Hall. Mrs Carlin speaks. I think I'll start early. It's hard to get a seat if you're not there early. Fenno sat up. He looked at his watch. I think I'll get off now, said his wife. She put on her wraps, came over to his chair and kissed him. Oh, I'm so happy here, said she. I hope it will be a good match, dearie. The door closed behind her. Fenno got up and began to pace the room. Every few minutes he stopped at the front windows and looked out at trees in the park. She's so happy here, he muttered to himself. Well, hang it all, she deserves to be happy. She's going to be happy too as long as she lives, if I have anything to say about it. Ten minutes later, 
he too left the hotel. He went to the corner. Motor buses loaded with men all going to the match went past him one after another. He watched them go, smiling. The bus he finally got on would take him nowhere near the grounds. It went to a railway terminus. Here he took a train right out into the country. He left it at a certain outlying little town. He had left it there many times of late when he was supposed to be at football matches. Down a tree-bordered road he walked briskly and finally turned in at the gate of a little house. It was the little house William Fenno had brought his bride to some 35 years ago. There was a big sign on the front lawn. He scowled as he read it. To be let or sold. He opened the front gate and went in. Fishing in his pocket he found a key, opened the door of the basement and disappeared. Presently he came forth, arrayed in a rusty shabby coat, an old hat and a pair of heavy-soled old shoes. He carried a hoe, a rake and a trowel. Every year by the south wall there had been a pansy bed. Fenno, dropping to his knees with a contented chuckle, began the usual pansy bed. He worked away happily. Now and again, as his eyes fell on the sign on the front lawn, he scowled. Then he would shake his head. Mother deserves it. She's earned it, he would repeat to himself, and go on with the work in the warm loam. At length the earth was all turned and smoothed. The bed was ready. He went into the basement again, where, hidden away in a corner, were four boxes of pansies. He'd put them there the last time he was supposed to be watching a match. Fumbling about for them in the semi-gloom of the place, he suddenly stopped and stood listening. What was that noise? From upstairs, somewhere came a steady, swish, 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 swish. He crept up the stairs. It seemed to come from the dining room. The shutters were closed, the curtains drawn. He caught the glow of the gas stove in the kitchen. He crept forward. There in the dining room, with an old-time morning print frock on, her face red, her hands in chamois leather gloves, was his wife, brushing away at the dining room carpet and humming softly to herself as she brushed. He started to move stealthily forward. A board creaked. Mrs. Fenno looked up. The brush fell from her hand. In her perturbation, something like a scream came from her throat. Then she saw who he was and clutched at the table, leaning there, shaken, crestfallen. I, I, she began in a queer voice. I couldn't help it. I just had to. I didn't want you to know. He sprang across the room and threw an arm around her. He was laughing immoderately. He kissed her cheeks, her hair, her eyes. He pressed her close to him. He stepped in the dustpan and laughed still more heartily. Come out and look at my pansy beds, he laughed and patted her shoulder. He led her to the front door and out into the garden. Then he sped towards the sign on the lawn and began pulling at it. She was beside him in a moment. Let me help you, she panted happily, clutching the post of the sign and pulling with him. The End I hope you enjoyed this gentle and touching story of William and Bess Fenno and how they navigated the transition of a busy family life and child rearing back to that of coupledom. Please subscribe or follow this podcast 
and share it with your family and friends. I hope you enjoy a lovely week and I look forward to being with you next week when I again share stories from before.